Welcome to the Sermon of the Week. Before you begin listening, let me pray that you would encounter God right where you are. Father, I ask that your Spirit would be present wherever people are listening. May they be aware of your presence and receptive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you listen to this week's message. Surrounding me, let it break at your name. Still, call the sea to still, the rage in me to still every wave at your name. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus. Silence fear, Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Call these bones to live, call these lungs to sing once again, and I will praise Jesus. Darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Your silence here, oh Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus, Jesus. Oh Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble, Jesus.
Good morning, everyone. My name is Walton, as Pastor just said, and I am so excited to be here this morning with you to bring to you God's Word. I'd like to, first of all, thank the pastors for giving me this chance to share with you this morning. And I also want to thank the MCC body. Uh, this has been our home church for many years, and we are, me and Tina, we're very thankful for all that God's been doing. God is up to something good, and we get to be part of it. Amen? Let me uh, begin with a word of prayer. 
Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you that you are always so good and so faithful. And God, we pray that as we gather today, come to worship you, come to uh, fellowship with one another. God, I pray that, God, we, we would take the time, our hearts would be ready to hear everything that you want to say to us and to be touched by you uh, in, in a divine encounter. We thank you, God. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart may be pleasing to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some of you may know that uh, I had the uh, privilege to grow up in a, uh, the most southern state of the United States. I grew up in Hawaii, right? And you know, uh, growing up in Hawaii, uh, make, it causes people to think of different things. They think of these great, wonderful beaches. They think of maybe uh, some of these ticky statues. Uh, that was me. That doesn't mean the picture. Uh, and uh, I, I, y'all maybe think of flowery lays. That's me again. That's me graduating from high school. And, and you know, it's a common tradition with everyone, all your friends and family just just bury you in lays that day. And so uh, it's, a, it's a chance to celebrate what God's doing. But not only are these things a, a part of Hawaii, but you may not know that uh, something that's also big in Hawaii is uh, basketball. <laughs> and, you know, uh, uh, it just, it's just a, it was tra- an awesome time to play basketball growing up there and to have just the most beautiful vistas as you're taking your shots, right? Mountains and palm trees in the background, right? You know, I remember when I was uh, uh, in college, I, I specifically had a team that I used to hang out with. I used to play with them. And, and we, we, at night, you know, in the evenings, we would just cruise around the island to Liki Liki and Pali Heights and all these places looking for a good game of hoops. And I remember one, one guy who's uh, one of my best friends, his name was James. And I remember oftentimes after we finished a long game, our long night of games, we'd go to 7-Eleven and we would get Slurpees and just some hot dogs and we would just chill. I remember though that uh, James, who, who's just an awesome guy, one of the things we noticed about him was that he was a little bit um, economical. He was a little bit frugal at times. And, and, you know, sometimes when we were getting our Slurpees and all these things, you know, he would bring his own uh, a Gatorade from home in a bottle. And not only that, that he would dilute it with water just to, to let it go a little further. Uh, he told us it's to, it's to not get oversaturation of minerals, but, you know, uh, I, I think we know. Uh, anyway, great guy. Love he, he was our He was our uh, number two position jump shooter. It was awesome playing with him. Uh, but, you know, over the years, I just realized, yeah, sometimes he's just a little bit frugal. A few years ago, what happened was uh, we uh, heard that his mom had passed away and gone to be with the Lord. And I was, I was sitting down with the brother, and we we're talking about it. And he ha- happened to tell me, you know, he said to me, you know, Walt, um, I, I found out that I came into a bit of inheritance. I found out that, that there's actually a, uh, he inherited a good amount of land and houses over which he was the landlord. Now, uh, at first, you know, he was the same guy, Jim, you know, we would hang out with him and he continued to be a teacher in the school system in Hawaii. But over time, as he learned to handle the inheritance, knew how to take care of these things, uh, things started to change in him. I remember the last, uh, a few years ago, uh, we had a chance to hang out with him and he was showing us, uh, at this point he was married, he had a, a nice house uh, on the West Coast area and, and uh, he took us to this nice golf club a restaurant and he even paid for it. It was amazing. And, and I said, wow, you know, what a difference an inheritance can make. 
when you understand and you begin to be able to apply it in your life. I want us to think about this question today. Have you ever received a life-changing inheritance? What would you consider to be a life-changing inheritance? A, a, a million dollars? A, a, a wonderful a, a, a mansion in Hawaii? What are the things that you consider to, to be such an inheritance that would change the way you live your life? Mm. I'd like to submit to you today that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know, you, uh, you belong to a new family now. Not because of anything you've done or anything you deserve, but because, just because you're in God's family, you stand to inherit something amazing, astounding. And if we could fully understand that, if we could begin to apply it in our lives, what a difference it would make. Mm. And so we're going to get into this today as we continue to look into Romans 8. And, and before we dive fully into it, I want to give a quick, quick, quick review uh, because, you know, we, we've been going through this series for a little bit. And just to, to jog our memories a little bit, uh, I remember a few weeks ago, Pastor David had a chance to kick, it, kick off the series. And he started with kind of a big summary overview and reminded us that in Jesus Christ, we have a fresh start, a new beginning, right? And that is amazing, especially for those of us who may have a past, who, who have things that we regret, to know that God is one who has wiped the slate clean. Amen? Yeah. And then uh, after that, we had Scott come, and he spoke from verse 1 of chapter 8, reminding us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for his blood has dealt with it all, right? Amen. And then Jim last week spoke uh, in, the, in the middle verses there, 12, 13, and he talked about how we can live by the Holy Spirit and that we should choose to follow the Spirit, the truth that the Spirit reveals, not the, the, the misconceptions, the deceptions, the lies that the world and Satan like to inundate us with, right? Well, uh, there was a verse at the end of last week that I felt like uh, I needed to revisit just a little bit more, and that was found in verse 14. Of Romans 8. It said, it tells, it tells us that the Spirit Himself confirms that we are God's children. And it says here, uh, let me just read it to you. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the, spir the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Amen. And you know, um, that leads us straight in today's, today's passage. Romans 8, verses 17 to 30. Because you know, if it's true that we are God's children, and that is true, the Holy Spirit testifies, if you have put your trust in Christ, you are not just an orphan or a rebel that, that's been allowed to, 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 to crawl into the kingdom. You have now been adopted into a divine family. You have now been set free. You are now a person with purpose and all these things. God has called you not just to, to be redeemed, but to be a child of God, a son or daughter. And if you are a child, the scripture tells us you are also an heir, all right? Yeah, so, so we're going to uh, 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 un unpack that as we go. Now, normally, uh, when I do a passage, uh, I like to read it through first, and then we go back and unpack it. But for the sake of time, I, I'm going to just uh, give you uh, uh, some of the big picture, and then we're just going to walk through it and read it as we go. How about that? Is that okay? All right. 
So I feel that as we look at this section, one of the main things that comes out, the truth that come out in this section of chapter 8, is what it means to be an heir in God's family. What does it mean? What does it really mean? Now, how many people want to hear about that? You want to do that? Okay, amen. We're going to dive right into it. And so um, the first point, is, it comes from verse 17, is the idea that what it means to be an heir is we get to share in his sufferings. We get to share in his suffering. Let's read that verse. It says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. All right. Now at first, when you read this, I remember reading this myself and thinking, huh, you know, the thing about inheritance, it sounds great, but I don't know about the sharing the sufferings thing, okay? What kind of inheritance is that? Because obviously, you know, when you get inheritance, there can be good inheritances and there can be not so good, right? A good one may be like, hey, you, you know, you had a, 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 a great grandpa who, who basically allowed you an inheritance of, I don't know, 100, 100 Ferraris or something like this. That could, pre that could be interesting, right? But then you got not so good inheritance. Maybe your lost Uncle Milton left you all his childhood t-shirts. And they were not even, they're not even laundered, right? And so you're thinking, okay, that's interesting. And when we come to this inheritance, the question is, what category does this fall into? Is this a great inheritance? I mean, I, I thought as an heir, I was gonna get something really good. What does it mean to share in, in God's suffering, right? I want to, you to consider that although at first it may seem like, huh, an inheritance to share in suffering, that doesn't sound very good. I want you to consider that it is indeed something that is incredible, valuable, and powerful. I had a friend who's a pastor who, who told me about time that he was in a season of his life where he felt like he needed to get in shape a little bit. So he hired a personal trainer. And so that day he walked to the gym and his personal trainer was by this bench here and a horizontal bar was on top of it. And so, so he said, hey, come on, I want you to sit down here. We're going to train and we're going to do bench presses today. And so the guy started loading up the plates on either side. And, and, and my friend assures me, he doesn't remember the weight, but it was somewhere between zero and 400 pounds. And, uh, and so he got down there and the guy, the trainer who was, who was just uh, right above him said, okay, we're going to do 12 reps today, 12 repetitions. And so my friend was getting on there and he did the first one, a little tough, but he got it. And then, and then it was two and three and four. And, and by the time he got to the 10th rep, he says his arms were shaking a little bit, you know, because he was getting a little tired. And, and, but he was able to get it. And then uh, it was the 11th rep. And he remembers as he was doing the 11th rep, he already felt all spent, tired, worn out. But the trainer was like, come on, you can do it. So he pressing, he just continued to do it. Oh, he got it. He was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. But at this point, the trainer was extremely giddy and excited. And he started to say, now's the time. Now's when we get started. Now is when it begins. Because this next rep, the 12th rep, is the most important rep. Because this is the point. This is where you begin to build muscle. Right? And so he said, come on. And so, so, so my friend tried to do it, and he just couldn't get it up. And so the trainer just gave a few fingers. Just try to help him. Not, not too much to make it easy, but enough so he wouldn't give up. And as he pressed, he got it done. And my, my, my friend assures me the next day when he woke up, he couldn't even brush his teeth. He was in so much pain. 
But you know what? When we think of the, what I remember from that story is that it makes me think about how sometimes when we go through suffering and pain and we go through things that seem so hard in our lives and we get to the point where we think, okay, I'm already starting to shake. Oh man, I'm already spent. I feel like we cannot take another step. It's at that point where God often comes alongside and tells us, you know what? This next rep, this is the most important rep. Because at this point, this is where you begin to grow. This is where begin, muscle begins to be built. So don't give up. Don't let go. I'm here right with you. Okay? And so, you know, when you think, why would we want to share his sufferings? I'll give you two ideas. One is that oftentimes it is the beginning of a process where God can really begin to grow us. Right? And we may think, man, there's so much hard things going on right now. I can't handle it anymore. But God's saying, no, come on. I'm right here with you. Press into this rep. And it will make all the difference. It's going to shape your heart. It's going to make your character what God wants you to be. You're going to be more like Christ. Come on. Right? And so we share in his sufferings. It is an inheritance that we have as children of God. Because it is part of God's plan. When he takes these tough, difficult times and allows us to grow. Right? And we see that in um, so this here. And then uh, as we look at Romans 5, 3 to 5, it says this. It explains, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. There's a process of growth that God wants to see. But not only that, let me show you another verse. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, it said, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. As I think about it, not only does the willingness to share his sufferings lead to a process of incredible growth, but here the key thing is that Paul is saying at the end of his time, he's saying, I want to know Christ. That I, I'm willing to go through the same suffering because I don't want to just know about Christ. I don't want to just serve him, but I want to be intimately close with him. If you think about it, as you're getting to know anyone else in this world, sometimes the way you get to know someone is not just hearing about the good times, but sometimes when you hear about the things that were so painful and that what they went through, it's in those times we begin to bond with people. And when, if we truly want to go intimate with Christ, you know what? Uh, we have to be willing to enter into some of the suffering. I'm not saying we go looking for pain. We're not masochists, right? But we live in a broken world and there will be pain, especially if we decide that we're going to follow after Christ. There may be denial. There may be rejection. There may be all these different things, but Christ will be with us. And as we experience some of those same things, God, God draws us closer. And there, so not only the suffering is a process to growth, but it's a pathway to intimacy. So I would say this is a pretty good inheritance after all, right? Uh, you know, I, I just want to add one other thought. Uh, I remember reading a few years ago about uh, the persecuted church. And I remember reading about especially the church in China that was suffering. And I was reading about the request and it stunned me because they weren't just asking for God give me a trouble for your life. Help me to get rid of the persecution. But their number one prayer was, God, in the midst of the persecution, keep me strong. Keep me faithful. Keep me loving. And I said, wow. 
they understand their inheritance, all right? Well, let's move on. I also want to talk about oops, uh, what it means to be an heir in God's family. The second thing is, not only do we get to share in suffering, but we get to share in future glory. And I think this is something we can all get behind, the future glory, right? Well, let, let, let's read the passage here. It says in Romans 8, verse 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You know, sometimes the thing that makes, when we're in the middle of suffering, the thing that makes it the hardest is we, uh, we forget what's the, what's, what's the end goal. Like, is there a reason for this? Is it just a waste? Is there a purpose? And this reminds us that if we are willing to share in his suffering, we're going to share in his glory. And so like, going back to the first verse here, the idea that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. It's almost like Paul has before his eyes the scale. And on one hand, he puts all the present sufferings. And on this side, he puts the future glory. And you know, as we, he says not worth comparing, but I'm going to do a little comparing right now, right? Because sufferings, we know what that looks like. I don't think I have to ask anyone like, hey, do, do you ever suffer? I think we understand, right? For some of us, it may be someone cut us off that day and we got angry or our boss chewed us out. Or even more seriously, maybe, maybe uh, a friend uh, disappointed us, betrayed us. Or maybe uh, a, a, a relative uh, uh, went, went to be with the Lord sooner than we want. And that kind of pain, uh, we feel it deep inside, right? We feel it. And Paul here is not trying to minimize our suffering. He understands we live in a broken world where, where there's still sin all around us, and, and we're going to sometimes be in the wash of that. And so he's not minimizing pain. He understands it. Paul, of all people, of all people right? Remember, there, there are passages, passages that tell us that, uh, you know, he, he understood suffering, that he was beaten he was stoned by his enemy. He was shipwrecked. He was nearly drowned. He was imprisoned. He didn't always have an easy life. And yet he says that these present offerings, I'm sorry, present sufferings, there is a weight to them. There is a weight on this scale. But when you compare it to future glory, the heft of this future glory far outweighs all our present sufferings. So without minimizing the pain of the present day we live in, we, we find the strength to go forward. We find the strength to have faith and move forward by, by looking toward the future and believing that, yes, my Savior has prepared something good ahead, that there will be future glory, and that is all worth it. We are worth it. Uh, as we look at the other passages really quickly, I mean, all creation is groaning. It's not just us. We're not alone as we look forward to the redemption of our bodies. All creation is awaiting, you know. And, and I know... Uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Joey, I guess, recently he had a, a child, so he understands childbirth, and, uh, or, or Kelly does at least, and he knows that it ain't easy. You ache and you pain, but you look forward to something good. 
And for us, we, we can be like that and say, you know what? Whatever pain I'm going through, it may be hard, it may be painful, but I remember that this is not the end. That there is a future glory coming. This is my mom. Her name is White King Yuen. I just call her mom. And uh, a few years ago, 2019, uh, I was transitioning out of my last church here and I was moving into full-time ministry, revival ministry. And I got a chance to go home to Hawaii for a time. And I remember uh, during that time, uh, we got to visit mom and almost the whole family was there, the immediate family. And she was in this care home and everyone gathered around. There was smiles, there was laughter. And I remember after the time was done, we were headed out the door and I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to do something that I'd never done before. And I took out my phone and I put it in a video and I went back to mom and I said, hey mom, I want you to know we really love you. And my mom looked up and she said, you know, this, this tough Asian lady who, who doesn't say too many things sometimes, but she said, I love you. I love you guys too. Little would I know that that would be the final words I ever heard from my mom. Because the next day, uh, the Lord took her home. And it was hard, you know. It was, it was not something that was expected at all. But I know that by God's hand, we were in the right place at the right time. My brother later told me that he would have been devastated because he was so close to mom. But we all happened to be there. And I remember when we had the funeral, my brother's a pastor too. We both got up there and we started talking about what God had done in mom's life, that she had been this kind of maybe a stoic Asian mom for a long time. But when she finally found Christ, God was started to work in her. God started working her. And I remember even share, sharing that video at the funeral where, you know, many people have never heard those words from mom where she said, I love you. And I remember telling the people that day, says, you know what? I feel pain. I feel grief in my heart. But my grief is because I won't get to see my mom for a few decades, or at least until my time is up on this earth. But in the midst of my grief, and it did hurt, there was also this profound joy and hope because one day I will see mom again. And I was telling people, you know, don't feel sad for mom because mom right now, she is leaping, she is dancing, she is more alive than ever before. And I told them, you know, if, if, if mom were here today, one thing she would want everyone to know is that Jesus is the real deal, that heaven is real, and there is nothing she would want more in her heart than for everyone in that audience to come to know Jesus Christ so that one day she will be at the gates of heaven to greet these friends and family. And that day, I remember as we shared the gospel, dozens of people gave their, gave their lives to the Lord because they wanted to see mom again too. When you realize the future glory, the redemption of our bodies, when that is something that you're, you allow to be saturated in your thoughts, it is something that is a great inheritance because it gives us strength to go through the persecution, to go through the suffering, to go through the pains, because the grave's not the end. The grave's not the end. Satan may think he won, but in the end, we know that God has won the victory, right? Amen. Um, let me jump to the next point. Um, not only 
do we get to share in his sufferings? Not only do we share in future glory, but we get to receive the Holy Spirit's help. And I'll just cover this very quickly here. Um, Romans 8, 26 to 27 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what, what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And I, I just want to really touch on this quickly and say, you know what? One of the inheritance, and, and, and it should be obvious to us, is that the Holy Spirit is always there to help us. That he helps us in our time of weakness. This is a promise. And, and, and you know, he is so intimately involved with us. Even if we come to a place where we don't know how to pray, how hard is it to pray, right? But sometimes if you pray a lot, you know, there are times when you're at a lack for words. You don't know what to say. You don't even, you don't even know where to go. But in those moments, the Holy Spirit is right there. And he intercedes for us. And sometimes we speak in tongues. Sometimes we just start to pray along the revelation God's given to us. And we can speak a word that truly encourages someone. The Holy Spirit is that close, that intimate. And he wants to help us through every difficulty and every trial. You know, he is able to be the one to move the biggest rock in your life. He's able to move any mountain. And so before we move on to the next point, I want you to think to yourself, what rock? What mountain do you need God to move in your life today? Because he wants to do that. He wants you to trust him as a Holy Spirit that will help you overcome and move that mountain. I get to the last point now is from the verses 28 to 30 and this idea that not only does an heir, being an heir mean that we share in sufferings, not only share in future glory, not only receive the Holy Spirit's help, but we also experience God's goodness and uh and his purpose. Yeah. Let me read this for you. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. When we are in the midst of pain and difficulty, one of the most amazing things we can return to is the truth that God has a purpose. And whatever Satan may have intended for evil, God can turn it around. And that God can make all things come together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? Satan will so often want to challenge the purpose and destiny God has for you. Satan wants to tear down that, that, that structure. He doesn't want you to believe that God has a purpose in your life. He wants you to just feel like you're crushing under the burden and that there's no way out. But when we come to a point where we understand that even though there are billions of people on this earth, God knows you, he sees you, and he has a purpose for you. And we need to be a people who understand this and hold on tight. About 20 years ago, uh, I was at a place that was a little bit dark for me, a little bit difficult. And uh, I had come back from the mission field and things had not gone well. And I remember that I, I used to describe that time as when I felt like I had lost a sense of true north. And I was still a believer. I loved the Lord. But there was a sense I didn't know. I didn't know where God wanted me to go next. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was really difficult and really tormenting. But I remember one day, uh, I was living in Austin, Texas at the time, and I felt it was almost like the Lord was tapping, on the, tapping me on the shoulder. And he was like, I want you to run a marathon. 
And I start to laugh. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? I, I have never run a race in my entire life. I don't do marathon. I like basketball. You know, you go back and forth, you know, intensely, but that's about it. And, and I thought, oh, I'm just, it must be pizza or something. I'm not, I'm not hearing the Lord correctly. But just an off chance, it really is God. I said, God, if it's you, I tell you what, you know, Lord, that I've never been able to run past three miles. That in fact, when I hit three miles, like just on like clockwork, I get shin splints. I, I'm almost about to collapse to the ground. I tell you what, Lord, I'm going to go to 24-hour fitness tonight, which is near my house, and I'm going to uh, try to run three miles. If, if this is from you, then help me to run the three miles. And, and, and this gym, they had a, a, a second floor track that it was one-tenth of a mile for one, one time around. So that meant 30 laps. And so I got in there, I remember I, it was a little bit after dinner, and I just started running. I did, I did uh, the first lap. I said, okay. I did 10 laps, 20, 30. And I was like, hey, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not collapsing in pain. Just keep going. I did 40 and then 50 and 60 and 70, 80, 90, 100 laps. And at that point, I said, it's getting a little late. <laughs> I think God has made this point. At this point, I had about six weeks before the Austin Marathon. So I said, okay, God, I, I should probably train a little bit. <laughs> and so I started training, and I remember the day of I ran the marathon. It was um, the first half marathon. The first, first 12, 13 miles was not too bad. I felt pretty good. And, you know, there were people in the church running with me, and you know, you just want to stay, stay in sync with everyone. But I remember at the halfway point, it was, the, it was a, kind of a big hill near University of Texas. And as it was going up, it was getting a little hard. It was getting a little hotter. Things were getting a little dip more difficult. And especially as I was coming down the hill, I was going down a little, little bit too fast. And all of a sudden, I get this massive cramp in my left calf. And a few minutes later, massive cramp in my right calf. And after that, it was hard. It was hard. And, and the last 13 miles, I just kept pressing forward pressing forward. And, and you know what made it hard was this temptation because there's all these emergency trucks driving along the path. All you got to do is run to the truck, hop on, and, and, and concede that you're done, and the truck will take you to the finish line for your consolation prize. But I remember something told me on the first day when he told me to run the marathon. He told me that, you know, Walton, I want you to run this marathon because I need you to understand that one day, on some future day, I'm going to ask you to do something that seems insurmountable. It's going to be something that you do not feel you have the capacity in yourself. But in that moment, even though you can't see the finish line, even if you don't know if you have the strength, I need you to still run it anyway, simply because I've called you, right? And so I ran that marathon, the last 13 miles, and I tell you the truth, I, there was a point, I think especially around mile 18, where every single step hurt. And there's so much pain. And there'll be times when both are cramped up, I just have to sit for a few minutes, massage it, and then I said, Lord, uh, is it done yet? And Lord would be like, just trust me. One more step. And for the last few miles, it's just one step at a time. Trusting the Lord one step at a time and praise God, I finished it at the end, right? <laughs> and, 
I remember that God had a purpose, that he himself was calling me to this, and it helped me to finish something that I did not feel I could do. And even today, as I press in for revival for our city and our nation, it is something that feels insurmountable. What can one person do? But then I realized I'm not alone. There are many people who are praying. And that God is the one who will bring revival because he loves the bride. He loves his church. And he wants us to continue to press in and keep running the race one step at a time. Some of you know about uh, the Koreans that came to visit us, right? You know, this started because in 1973, the Koreans uh, were about, the, the nation of Korea was about to like uh, implode in terms of their spirituality. And yet they started praying and they invited Billy Graham to come and preach. And what happened was the largest crusade of Billy Graham's life, where a million people attended. And that, as a result of the preaching and what God did, revival broke out and redirected the nation back to him. But it didn't end there because 50 years later, a few years ago, uh, two years ago, the Koreans, a lot of them felt like they wanted to come back and bless America for what they had done uh, to help bring revival to their nation. And I want to tell you this, that the second year they came, as we prayed for revival, as we prayed for different things, I believe that one of the answers to prayer, as we prayed for unity and for a greater uh, a heart of the, of the body of Christ here, one of the answers was this thing called the Charlotte Crusade. Because in the Charlotte Crusade, which is going to take place on September 20th, and actually MCC is a partner in this, is that it is a grassroots movement, a grassroots crusade to reach the lost in our city. You know, the last time there was a crusade in our city was 1996. That was Billy Graham's last crusade. It was a great crusade too. But it's been a little bit too long. Almost 20 years. And I spoke in front of a group of pastors and I said, you know what? It's time. It's time where this time there is a grassroots crusade. Of, there may not be a single person like Billy Graham, but if we have the heart to come together as the body of Christ and to pray for the lost, to work together, to invite our friends, I believe God is going to fill the Bojangles Stadium of 10,000 seats and exceed the capacity. We believe that God is preparing a great harvest in this city. And for those who are ready to join with it, God is going to do something amazing. And so I, I want to encourage you, just an invitation to be praying for this even now. I heard the last count, uh, they have over 56 churches involved. And we're hoping for over 100. More and more churches say, you know what? It doesn't matter my denomination. It doesn't, doesn't matter what generation we are, or what ethnicity, but we are we're related by the blood of Christ. And there's a harvest out there. There's a purpose. There's a mission. And we want to press in, despite the pains and suffering. I'm going to close off this time right now, and I'm going to invite uh, some of the uh, ministry team coming up right now. Um, you know, uh, People here, you probably have pains and sufferings and trials, things that I have no idea what you're going through right now. But I want you to know that God knows, that God sees those things. And what I want you to do right now is to consider, as you leave this room, I want you to think about 
and to embrace the fact that you have an inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus. I know many of you probably say, oh yeah, I know that, I know that. But do you really? Like my friend who inherited all that land and houses, in the beginning he was like, oh, okay, cool. We still play basketball and get some Gatorade and stuff like this. But when he realized how great it was, it began to transform his life. And I want to challenge you to embrace everything that God has, God has in store for you. Let these things sink in. And I want to challenge you right now that as we wrap up this time, if there are those of you who are struggling with some things in your heart, maybe there's some difficulty that no one else knows about, or maybe you've let some people know, but you, feel, you still feel there's a rock or an impasse, I want you to know that God wants you to know that you're not alone, that the Holy Spirit is here to help. And God wants to remind you and stir to remembrance that He is the one who has a purpose for you, that He has a, a reason for things. At the end of the day, He can make all things work together for the good of those who love Him. Father God, we thank you, Lord God. Thank you for what you've shown us today from the Word of God in Romans 8. Thank you, God, that you remind us that we are children because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And as children, we are heirs. We, are, uh, we have access to the rights, the privileges, responsibilities, and the inheritance. And God, I pray, oh God, I pray that we who, who, who today are your people, God, if there's things on our hearts that feel so hard and so tough, God, I pray that you know, we, we would allow you to touch us today. Meet with us. Allow us to receive your goodness, your blessing, God. We love you. We thank you, God. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you live in the Charlotte area, we encourage you to worship with us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We encourage you also to give to this ministry so we can continue spreading the gospel to our city and throughout the world. You can go to our website at missioncommunity.cc Click on the Give button and the rest is simple. Have a great rest of your week. God bless.